Hello, everyone. It's good to see you. Um, if you're like, you're not Drew or Aaron, you're right. I'm Sarah. If we haven't met before, I get to be one of the young adults pastors here at Calvary Community Church. Do we have seniors in the room or like rising seniors? All right, I see, I see a hand. I see a hand. Can't wait to see you in YA next year. Um, and then a few, the rest of you in a few years. Um, but truly, I'm really glad to be with you. It's an honor to be present um, under Abby's leadership and just get to come back into high school ministry. This, I used to serve in this ministry. It's been a big part of my walk with Jesus. So you guys are, are pretty lucky to have the people you do. And today, I actually have the privilege of rounding out this series, Iconic. And I know last week, Pastor Connor Johnson talked about what it means um, to be people of grace and how this is an attribute of the life of Christ, that he was iconic for the grace that he gave, and it just exemplified the love of Jesus. And tonight, I get to talk about something that it's like one of my favorite subjects ever. It's the subject of friendship, and how Jesus was literally the most iconic friend to ever live. But before we dive into that, I really wanted to do like a little, a little show and tell, if that's all right with you guys. As I was thinking about friendships, I was like, okay, I can't not show off some of my closest friends. So if you bring up this first picture, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you into to my inner friend circle. All right, first up, um, this is my friend Cameron. Um, as you can tell, she's enthusiastic. She loves adventure. This was us on the top of a literal dormant volcano. She's my friend that will take risks in like anything, whether it's her walk with Jesus, other friendships. She's the friend you'll call and be like, hey, do you want to camp at Yosemite tomorrow? And she's like, great, I'm buying my ticket from Texas. Um, she lives in Texas right now, but she would do it. So this is Cam. Um, next up, we have Amy. If you're familiar with Brian Williams, this is his lovely wife, Amy, and his daughter, Ellie. Amy's my friend if I'm like needing wisdom. I don't know if you guys have people in your life where you're like, I am at a fork in the road and I need to actually like get heavenly wisdom. Amy will pray with me. She'll wait on the Lord. She'll kind of talk to me straight. Sometimes we need that to be like, you kind of need to wake up and stop making excuses. But she's a woman of character. I love time with Amy, especially when she brings Ellie along. Um, next, you might recognize this face. It's, well, you'll see two people recognize. This is Callie with a cameo of Pastor Aaron Kanjima. Shout out. We also love him. Um, but Callie, so she works on our media team. So if you're like, I've seen her, she's probably taken a picture of you without you looking. Not creepy, I promise. She gets paid to do it. Um, she's a woman of encouragement. She's the type of gal that if you're like, I forgot who I am today. Like, we all have those days where we wake up and we're like, I'm just not feeling it. Like, I feel insecure. I do not feel like Beyonce today. Callie will remind me who I am. She'll bring me to the word of God. She's incredible. This next gal, if you're like, Sarah, stop. There's only a few more, I promise. Um, this next gal actually met serving in HSM. Her name is Maho. Uh, so we used to serve, if you know Paulina Lasky, this is like one of our best friends. Um, Maho is the type of friend that will like, suffer with you. So if you're like having a bad day, she's not just going to be like, hey, buck up, things are going to get better. Like she'll be in it with you, she'll be empathetic, but then she'll also be extremely joyful. Like for a while, I couldn't tell if she was like laughing at me or laughing with me. She Every time I spoke, she'd be like, Sarah, you're so funny. I'm like, I'm not trying to be ironic. So um, she, she does pump me up, but she is a friend that will suffer with you. She's incredible. Next, I couldn't, I couldn't not put Brian Williams. I love Brian Williams. He is my boss. He is actually my friend. He is like one of the most gentle people you'll ever meet. Like, I don't know if you have the person in your life where if you're having a bad day and they'll just be like, how are you? And then you immediately start crying because you're like, I feel safe. Like, this is Brian Williams to me and many other people. Um, I love doing ministry with him, life with him. He's also very sincere. Um, if you've ever heard him speak, you're like, wow, 
you're sure you shouldn't have been a poet. Like, you're so gentle. Um, next, okay, shout out if you're in a small group. Like, just get a whoop. Yeah, okay, looking for some more woos in this room, so we'll talk about it in the fall. Um, but, okay, my small group is rad. This is, like, our girl band poster trying to be trendy. I learned my first TikTok dance this night, guys. I'm 28, so give me some slack. It, it took a while. Um, but my small group is just, like, understanding and grace-filled. Like, anyone can show up and just be real. It's awesome. Highly recommend small group community. Doing a plug because it's important. Like, find people you can run with. Find people that you can be met with at the end of a long day. But these women are awesome, grace-filled, wonderful. Um, next up, you probably, if you know Pauline Alaski, you love Pauline Alaski. She's like the most hospitable person ever. I will say she's like the Italian aunt that you like wish you had. Like you come over and she's just like feeding you immediately. Like one, there's a blanket on you. You don't even know how it got there. Like she's amazing. JD is a lucky man. He took my spot. I used to live with her, so he, he did divide our house, but we'll forgive him for that. Um, and last but not least, um, two men that are really important to me. If you ever knew Robbie Brown, he was one of our worship leaders. Um, he was like an older brother figure. And then my dad. Like, these men are just, like, protective. They're loyal. They're the people where I'm like, when I can't stand up for myself, like, you will stand up for me. And that's the end of my, that's the end of my show and tell. Thank you guys for listening. Um, but okay, what do, why do I show these, you these people besides to be like, what the heck, God is blessing me with great friends. They all have something in common. They all have something in common, and it's actually that they remind me of qualities of, like, my best friend. These are great friends, but I actually just have one best friend, right? And in fact, like, we actually all have the same best friend. And if you're already there, okay, guys, it, I promise it's, this, is, this is truth. We all, like, all of our best friend is Jesus. And if you're like, wow, I feel like I'm back in, like, early childhood. No, it's true. Like, it might be cheesy, but it's 100% true. All of these qualities I just listed in these people are qualities of Jesus. And I can guarantee you that they would not exhibit these qualities with such strength if they did not spend time with Jesus. Like, they remind me of my closest relationship in life, and that's part of what, like, attracted us together. And, like, these are excellent and praiseworthy qualities, but the truth is, even if they, like, had a close relationship with Jesus, they're, like, jamming out in the Bible all the time, I just see glimpses of the attributes of Christ, Right? Like, they can't replace the relationship I have with Jesus because he's consistent. He's continual. Like, he is my closest friend. And that's why I'm so stoked I get to talk about him tonight. Because as we'll see in today's scripture, like, he, Jesus isn't just a good friend. And he's not just some, like, arbitrary or ethereal presence in our life. Like, he truly is the most iconic friend to ever live. And we have a whole book filled of instances to actually look into his life when he was fully man, fully God on this earth. And this, the text that we're looking at tonight actually tells, like, the story of why that's true, why he actually is, like, the most iconic friend to ever lived. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up with me to Mark 14, verses 26 through 42. If you don't have your Bibles, the scripture will be on the screen. All right, verse 26 opens this way. It says, when they had sung of him, they went up to the Mount of Olives. So this scene opens up with Jesus and his friends. 12 closest friends, his disciples, um, finishing up a time of worship and praise together. And then they decide to like catch a view on the side of a mountain. And you're thinking like, I love the outdoors. That sounds beautiful with my friends. It's pretty sweet, right? But like, let's backtrack a moment because this scene actually comes after one of the most iconic scenes in scripture, which is, does anyone know what this is? 
Sarah, the last thing you said, Sarah, it's the Last Supper. And if you don't know what the Last Supper is, this is the last meal that Jesus ate on earth with his friends. This is the meal where Jesus sits down and he graphically describes his death. He takes the bread and he says, this is my body that's going to be broken for you. This is my blood that's going to be poured out for you. This is what we call communion, right? We do this remembrance for what Jesus did. But not only this, but before this, Jesus did something wild. He also washed all his disciples' dogs. All of them. Okay, thank you for the, the soft chuckles. I learned about this two weeks ago. Um, no, he washed their feet, right? Like, that's what he actually did. Like, but listen, like, if they actually, okay, listen, if, if they all had dogs, that's actually, like, a pretty servanthood thing to do, right? If you're like, I'll wash your chihuahua and your Doberman and your golden retriever. But no, we all know that actually means he washed their feet, right? Which, like, that's kind of gross. Like, Jesus, the Lord of the universe, got low and washed his disciples' dusty and probably, like, poopy, right, because it's the ancient Near East, feet, like, before their meal, right? He cleans their feet with his hands. Not only that, after, this is before he graphically describes how he's not only about to die for them, his closest friends, but many others. And this is the part where I think, like, whoa, these men and women that followed Jesus, like, must have been incredible friends. Like, they must have been loyal to Jesus for him to treat them with so much respect, right? To get low. But let's, let's look at the story and see what Mark 14, 27 tells us. It opens with this. This is after Jesus does all of these incredible acts of sacrificial love to his servants or to his, to his disciples. And he says this. He says, you will fall away. <laughs> You fall away, Jesus told them, for it is risen, written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Like, okay, listen, imagine, imagine this. You're his friends, you're his disciples. You've given up your family. You've dropped out of school. Like you've broken up with your significant other. You've sold all of your possessions to follow Jesus. The literal best friend there ever was. And not only that, but like he provides for you. He shows you miracles. He teaches you the wonders of heaven and earth. He washes at your feet. He literally vows to die for you. And then he tells you that you're going to walk away from him. He tells you that, listen, like despite all of these things, you're going to walk away from him. And that he would still come back to you. Like he's like, you're going to walk away from me, but we'll meet up afterwards. Like What? You see, like, although this was news to the disciples, they're, they're standing there and it's taken them a while to, like, input all this information. This wasn't news to Jesus. Like, he knew this all along. From the moment he met his disciples, he knew that, A, he would be dying for them, and B, they would walk away from him. Not only this, but this has been prophesied for many, many years. So back in the Old Testament, a very old scripture, in Zechariah, who was a prophet, that, this is where this message came from. He prophesied that one day there would be a great shepherd, which we now know is Jesus, and he would be struck down in that moment of his death and him being struck down, his followers would be scattered. This was nearly 500 years before Jesus walked this earth. So if you're in a place, too, where you're like, how do we know Jesus is legitimate? Like, there are Old Testament records and scriptures of these men and women, these prophets sent by God, to declare and speak what was what to come to the people of God. And then Jesus' life actually fulfilled those scriptures to a T. 
So all the while, Jesus knew this was coming, and, you know, for some reason, the disciples took some time to piece that together, but, you know, no shade. I can be that way, too, when it comes to things of God. But this is what happens. Peter, one of his most enthusiastic disciples, he's sometimes called the zealot, meaning, like, he's very full of life and, honestly, often very stubborn. He had something to say to Jesus. So he's like, listen, you're going to fall away from me. Like, he's trying to, like, declare this out of love and some sort of warning to them. But in verse 29, this is, what you, or this is what Peter said. He declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Like, he's kind of being a jerk. Can you imagine? He's like with the 12 other disciples, and he's like, even if these losers abandon you, I will not, Jesus. A little bit, a little bit arrogant, right? Like, can you imagine that? Like, can you imagine defying Jesus and being like, I know you're trying to tell me something, but shh, I'm not going to be that person. But like, on the other hand, like, I can kind of, I can kind of like get there, right? Like we've all had moments where the Lord speaks something and we go to peace description and we're like, okay, I see where you're coming from, God, but like that's not me. And apparently so can Peter. But Jesus being the friend he is, he's patient. He's patient with Peter and he brings more clarity to the situation. So he's like, all right, I'm going to try one more time. I'm going to follow up with you, Peter. So in the next verse, he says, no, truly I tell you, adding a little truly in, he answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. He's like, literally before the daybreak, when the rooster crows, which is what happens when you live out, you know, in more like farm rural area, there are roosters, they do crow in the morning to wake you up. Um, he's like, you will deny me three times. You will not just to yourself, not just in your own heart, be like, maybe Jesus isn't the Messiah. There'll be three accounts where people come to you and they ask, is, like, are you associated with Jesus of Nazareth? Is he your Lord and master? And three times he will verbally say, I do not know him. This is the same man within less than 24 hours. But Peter, still being a little bit thick-headed, says, emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. He's like, I'll go to the cross with you. And then all the others were like, yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, me, same, of course. And said, and all the others said the same. Which kind of like brings me to this question, because as much as Peter had zeal and he was like, I want to I be a good friend to you, Jesus, he actually didn't really trust the Lord when he was speaking to him. So the question for us, for me, is do you trust Jesus as a wise friend even when you disagree or cannot comprehend what he's saying? Like, do you trust when the word of God says something that you're like, I don't know about that. I'm going to wrestle, like, do you wrestle with it and see it through, or do you just discard it? Because you're like, that doesn't apply to me. Because when we hear the voice of God or when we go to his word, there is this, there's this trust that has to be there in order to walk forward as a follower of Christ. And like Peter in that moment, honestly, he does what I do all the time. He trusted himself more than he trusted Jesus. He's like, I would never. Even though Jesus, who sees into the heart of man, was like, you will. Like, you will. Which we'll see we'll see, honestly, gets Peter into a rather sticky situation. But, like, here's the thing, right? Like, they probably meant it. Like, the disciples probably wanted to mean that, where they're like, we would never walk away from you, Jesus. Like, deep in their hearts, they probably were mortified at the idea of abandoning this Jesus who was about to lay down his life. He's in his hour of need. He's made that clear to them. But we also know they didn't fully trust or understand what Jesus was talking about. And as we continue, we'll see 
that Christ was about to actually wrestle with the great sacrifice that he was also about to make, that Jesus himself was wrestling with what was to come. So verse 32, this is what it says. They went to a place called Gethsemane. So this is about half a mile away from what they were at the Mount of Olives. And Jesus says to his disciples, he says, sit here a while while I go and pray. And he took Peter and John along with him and James. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. So he left nine of the disciples and he said, okay, I'm going to take you three. We're going to go a little bit further. And he starts to really show his emotions on his sleeve. He is distressed and he is troubled. And he says this out loud. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Like Jesus is admitting that like he's in a low spot. He's in a low place. And he says to them, stay here and keep watch. So he goes off. You see, Jesus' hour of death is coming, and he knows this. And as much as Jesus was fully God, he was also fully human. And the reality of what he was about to take on began to overtake him. And here's two takeaways I want to point out from this moment. I just don't want us to miss this. The first is, it's simple, but Jesus can relate to your feelings of despair, like even to the point of death. Like, Jesus can relate to us when we feel so overwhelmed that it just feels like maybe it would be better not to be here. Like, this is an emotion I've wrestled with throughout my life, and I felt ashamed sometimes because I'm like, man, like, God is probably embarrassed of me. He's probably upset with me that I feel so overtaken by my circumstances that I'm questioning my own life. But here's the deal. Like, Jesus, our Lord and Savior of this universe, doesn't want us to run from him in those moments because he's been there. Like, he gets it. He gets what it means to be that low, to be in that place. Like, he's not ashamed of us feeling that way. In fact, he wants to model a way through that because he knows what's on the other side. He knows the good ahead of us, but he doesn't want to rush past that with us. Because here's the thing. He could have been anticipating many different things to bring him to this point. He could have been anticipating the physical pain of the crucifixion, the nails through his wrists, the breaking of his ribs, Like, crucifixion to this day is, like, the most excruciating way to die. The cross was a torture device, like, made by the Romans to literally torture people, kill them in the slowest, most painful manner as possible. And Jesus in his time would have seen many crucifixions before. So it could have been him anticipating the pain, the physical pain, or it could have been the emotional pain, like, a betrayal by his dearly loved friend. Like, if you've ever been betrayed by someone, you know how much that hurts. It's devastating. Or it could have been the spiritual terror of taking on the sins of the world. Sometimes I fly past this and I'm like, yeah, well, he's God. Like, he can handle the sins of the world, right? But what Jesus actually did was when he took on our sins and on the cross and descended into hell for three days, in a way, he experienced the separation from God and the agony of what sin actually is. Like, if you've experienced the repercussion of sin in your life, like, you understand that that's not a place you want to be. But imagine, like, the weight of that, the weight of our lives. Like, that's not something you look forward to even if you are Jesus. So again, like, Jesus is not upset with you when you feel overwhelmed or even terrified. Like, he gets it. He gets it. But again, he also models a response that leads to life, and it leads to health, which leads me to my second takeaway, and it's this. It's when Jesus is overwhelmed, He leaves the presence of his friends to be with the presence of his father, and he prays. He prays. So really, like, for us, the question is, like, when you're in despair, like, where do we turn to? 
where do we turn to? Do we turn to distraction? Do we just like numb out over, I do this too often like in my phone? Do I go like vent and vent and vent to a friend? Which listen, friends are not bad. Like if you're in a tough spot, like call someone, right? Invite people in, especially the people of God. Invite them into your life. Call a leader, someone you trust, a family member. But don't, don't end there. Don't end there. Because what Jesus models many times in scripture is he'll be with his friends. He'll be even a group of people. Like he'll, he'll be healing. Miracles are flowing. And then suddenly he goes, okay, it's time to go be alone with my father. Like I need to remove myself. I need to find solitude. I need to pray. Because only the Father, only God has what we actually need to keep going. No one on this earth can give that to you besides the Lord. Spending time in his word, hearing his voice, worshiping him, praying, it does something deeply transformative inside of us that gives us a motivation and energy that comes from nowhere else but the Lord. So when you're in despair, who do you turn to? Who do you turn to? Let's listen to the conversation that Jesus had with his father in this moment. Verse 35. So Jesus, again, he leaves his friends and he goes a little farther and he says if he falls to the ground, he falls to the ground and he prayed that if it is possible, the hour might pass from him. And he says this, he says, Abba, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. Not what I will, not what I want, but what you want. You see, I would call Jesus many things. I would call him passionate. I would call him emotional, but I would not call him a drama king. Him falling to the ground is a genuine expression of despair. Like, he is at his end. Like, I don't know if you've ever fallen to the ground because you're just like, I am, I can't. Like, I literally can't. Like, this is the point that Jesus was at. And he cries out to God in a very personal way. This word, Abba, is kind of the equivalent of calling, like, your dad, dad, instead of father. Like, instead of dressing him really formally, it's this very tender exchange where he's going, dad, like, I don't know what to do. Like, I need your help. I don't, I, this is not my preference. This is not my preference. Jesus is essentially asking if there's any other way that salvation can be offered to people besides his death. And again, Jesus had real human emotions. Like some, you can hear this and be like, this is, okay, maybe this is a little confusing, but there's a fully human side to Jesus. And he acknowledges that the Lord could change his circumstances, right? He's like, God, you, like, you're sovereign. You can do anything you want. But then he says something that I've learned to weave into my time with God, sometimes with like gritted teeth, and it's this, yet not what I will, Lord, but what you will. Not what I will, but what you will. Because the thing is, Jesus knew that God's will was for the good of the whole earth, for man, for women, for child, for animal, for creation. He knew that the Lord was trustworthy. He knew that his plan was greater than his comfort. Jesus said, not what I will, but what you will, not only because he trusted his father, but also that he deeply loved his friends, like he deeply loves us. He put aside his preference for us, not just those watching his crucifixion, not just the 12 disciples and many others that followed him, like truly, it will never get old, but like he had you in mind. Jesus cared more about the will of God and the good of others than his own discomfort or pain because there was discomfort and pain to the point of death. 
And here at Calvary, we talk all the time about what it means to live and love like Jesus, right? And sometimes we're like, yeah, amazing. That means loving people. Sounds easy. And no, this like doesn't mean that we're going to go to the cross, right? Like Jesus went to the cross once and for all. But what this does mean is that we become like Christ when we die to ourselves, when we die to our preferences, when we die to our sin, we die to our pride for the sake of following the Lord and serving others. That is when people see Christ in the world. That is when people see Christ in us. And it leads me to ask us, are we the type of friends, like church, are we as a community the type of friends who care more about God's will and guidance and the good of others than our own preference or comfort? Like in your friendships, how easy is it for you to die to yourself? How about to the people like you don't run with? The people who are like, they annoy me. The people that it's so easy to maybe speak an unkind word about. Like, what is, do people see Christ in you? Do they see you saying, you know what, this isn't comfortable, but I'm going to do it anyways. Because I think this would actually be a loving thing to do for this person, even if they're not my preference. Or are we more like the disciples in this moment? Let's look at the next verses, 37. It said, then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. He found them sleeping. And he says, Simon, so this is Peter, Simon Peter, are you asleep? He like clearly sees he's sleeping. Now he's kind of being sarcastic. Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you don't fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Talk about literally having one job. They had one job. He's like, listen, I'm going to go. Like, there's 12 of you. Stay here. Don't fall asleep. Keep watch. And then they fell asleep, right? Um, but here's the deal. Like, Jesus, despite all this, was still being a good friend to them. Because, listen, he was more concerned about his disciples falling into temptation, even as he was deep in his own concerns. Like, this man just fell to the ground. He's crying out to the Lord. He's coming back, and yes, he's like, a little bit sassy with them, which I, I do like sassy Jesus. But at the same time, he's like, guys, like, you don't want to fall into temptation. Why? Because as we see, some of his friends, <coughs> Judas, have already fallen into temptation, and it's going to ruin their lives. It's going to ruin their lives. He knows that. He's not just selfishly like, you guys didn't keep watch. He's like, I care about your life and your health. And Jesus brings up another really important reality here, and it's this. It's that we need to be real with our weaknesses in order for our relational and spiritual lives to thrive. Like, we need to be real with our weaknesses. Even Jesus acknowledges that he wrestles with his flesh. Like, this man fell to the ground. He had a crowd to God and say, not my will. My will is actually different in this moment, but you're his father. If Jesus, the Lord of the universe, had struggles wrestling with his humanness, guess what? We definitely are, right? I don't want to be like Simon Peter, who's a little bit too prideful to acknowledge it and then falls. I've done that too many times, and I'm sure I'll do it again. But this leads to another question to ask ourselves. Where in your relationship with God and others are you willing, but you need to recognize your weaknesses? Like, where you're like, no, I'm willing. Like, I'm willing to be a good friend. Like, I want to be, like, a good big sister to my little brother, even though he really annoys me. Like, I want to be a good classmate. Like, I want this teacher to know, like, I'm on her team. Like, I want to be a good significant other. Like, I, you know, like, I'm here for it. But then we're, like, not aware of our weaknesses, so they just catch up to us anyways, right? And, like, so, like, what is it? Like, is it pride, like Peter, who's like, no, no, God, maybe these chums, but not me? 
Like pride is my, like pride is usually my weakness where I'm like, I'm fine on my own, I can do this. And then I fall pretty hard. Is it doubt like Thomas? Like doubt isn't bad, don't hear me on this one, but if we don't address our doubt, it can lead us places we don't wanna go, right? And we just sit in it and we become infatuated with it and we don't speak about our doubt and then it just overcomes us. Like it is something bad instead of a pathway to something good and sanctifying. Is it greed like Matthew who's like, I just wanna get ahead. Listen, like he defied his own people in order to become a tax collector. And that is also why the disciples were not super cool with him when he first joined. But like he just wanted to get ahead. He was like, I'm gonna get what's mine. I'm gonna save up, not care for other people, cut corners. Is it self-centeredness like John and James? It could just be so easy. They had a whole fight about like, who is the greatest? Like who gets to stand beside you on your right hand in heaven, Jesus? And he's like, you guys are missing the point. Like it's not about being the greatest. Is it busyness? Like are you just too busy for people? Like Martha, like busyness isn't bad. Like we gotta get stuff done, right? This can definitely be mine. I just get so busy. I get so caught in my own agenda. I don't listen to the Holy Spirit. I stop pausing. Okay, I wanna do what I wanna do today. No, that feels inconvenient. I don't wanna stop and pray for them. I shouldn't call that person. I'm already on my way somewhere. And I miss it. I miss heaven coming to earth because I'm not listening. I'm too busy. Or is it like just basic human limitations? Like sometimes we think weakness is sin. It's like, oh man, yeah, my weakness is my lust or my temptation towards greed or my, like, you know, sometimes I swear. But weakness is also just the fact, like Jesus, that we are fully human, that we have a cap on our energy. We have a cap on our mental capacity, our resources. A lot of y'all are still dependent on your parents. You know, like we don't have that many resources. These things that actually remind us that we have a great need for God. You can become the most independent person in the world and you will still have a great need for God. And here's the deal, right? Because like our spirits might be willing, but our flesh will always be weak. Even the flesh, the humanness of Jesus was weak and he needed his father. He needed a word from the Lord. So this continues to be seen in the lives of the disciples. It says this in verse 39, once more. So he's like really, this is a good friend. Also, I think he was just, you know, there's some comedy in this. But once more he went away. He's like, all right, guys, don't fall asleep again. Went away and prayed. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping. Why? Because their eyes were heavy, because they were tired, because their flesh was weak and they didn't know what to say to him. Like, have you ever been that moment where like, you're like, no, no, I'm fine, I'm gonna be fine, everything's good, and you like come back and you're like, I I just don't even have an excuse for this anymore, like, you know you messed up, and you're like, I plead the fifth, I'm not gonna say anything. And Jesus like, could have gone off on them, but he didn't, because he's kind. He's so kind, and this is what he says to them. He returns to them for a third time, verse 41, and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough, the hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. He's like, all right, at this point, like I'm blown away by Jesus's patience. Like these men were supposed to be keeping guard and he like actually kind of didn't need them because he was like, nope, I see them, they're coming. It's time, get up. And yes, he is firm. He's firm with them. He says, enough is enough but because he understands the urgency of the moment, right? Like he knows things are about to get really messy. He could have dismissed the disciples and been like, I'm sick of you, but he said, no, let's go. He invites them with him. He said, let's go, the time has come. And here's the kicker, like we know who the betrayer is. The betrayer is Judas, 
who was one of his closest friends. He was one of the 12. He's the one who he got down and he washed his feet earlier that evening. He washed his feet. He showed him how he was gonna break his body for him and pour out his blood for him, knowing already that Judas was gonna betray him. Have you ever felt betrayed by someone? Like, again, or like double-crossed, lied to by someone you loved? Someone who you thought had your back or had your best interest in mind? Like, I have, and let me tell you, like, the last thing I would want to do is exactly what Jesus did, and that's die for them. Like, he died for Judas, so he would be forgiven and live a life full of goodness and peace should he have chosen it. Fortunately, he didn't but he died for those while they were still his enemy. While we were still enemies of Jesus, he died for us because he loved us. And you see, that was Jesus's philosophy of friendship. And he tells this to his disciples far ahead of time. So he tells this to his friends before he even goes to the cross. John 15, 13 through 15 says this. Jesus is speaking to his friends. He says this, he says, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants. He had every right to call them servants, right? He's the Lord of the universe. But he says this, a servant doesn't understand what his master is doing, but I have called you friends because every, everything I've learned from my father, I have made known to you. Because you see in this time and like in Roman code and house, like they did have bond servants, they had servants. It was different than what we experienced here in the US, but not, not ideal. And the master of the house often would not tell his servant private things. He wouldn't tell him like what he's doing. They would just take commands and go. And that would, that would make sense, right? Because like if God is the creator of the universe and we're the created, like he maybe does have every right just to be like, just do what I say and don't ask questions. But this is like so backwards, right? And like in the best way, Jesus says, that's not how the kingdom works. There is no master and servant in that way. There is friend. Like I call you friend. And he brings us impossibly close to God through the sacrificial act, but what he did on the cross, through the transformative wisdom of his life and also the power of his death. Like Jesus lived as an example, but his death is what ultimately tore the veil so we could be in the presence of God forever. Jesus is the Lord of the universe. And yet he loved his friends and his enemies unto death. He is the most iconic example of friendship to ever live. And he calls us to do the same. Matthew 5, 43 through 48. He says this, he says, you've heard what it said. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Like kind of like, duh, like people who are mean to you are not like, man, want to come over for coffee? Like, it's easy to love people who love you. And he says this, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Like persecute is a strong word. Sometimes we like throw that around like, I'm being persecuted because my teacher doesn't like me because I like English instead of math, right? But like persecution is usually death or like violence in this time. He's like, oh, is someone out for your life? You should pray for them. And not just like, I hope they fall off a cliff, but like, no, like pray for their life. Pray that they would come to know the peace that God offers. Pray that they would know the salvation that comes through me. He says, so that you may be children of your father in heaven. Like, you know, when we pray for our enemies, like that, that is unnatural, that the world actually sees this immaculate, lavish display of God's love through us. And Jesus knew this. Because he says this, he says, God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. 
and he sends rains on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Like, if you're only cool with those people who are cool with you, like, that's, sorry, but that's, like, kind of easy. It's easy to love people who look like us, that talk like us, that come from the same background, that treat you the way that you want to be treated. But he's saying, like, even tax collectors do that, which, like, tax collectors are, like, the scum of the earth, right, at this time. Like, they betray their people. Like, they're, like, the lowest of society. And they're, like, even tax collectors are nice to people who are nice to them. Like, I'm not impressed. And if you only greet your own people, what are you doing more than others? Like, church, like, I want us to hear this. Like, if we are only kind to people who are in the church or Christians, that is not showing the love of Jesus to the world. Like, that is, that should be like, we should love each other. Like, I'm sure there's people in this room who are like, we wouldn't automatically be friends on the street. Like, that's okay. Start here, like, start by loving the people around you. But like, go and love people in your communities. Love people who do not look like you, who don't act like you, don't dress like you, don't come from the same background, who have cultural differences. Like that is what the kingdom of heaven is gonna look like. Like Revelation says, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. We gotta be willing to do that here now, not just wait till eternity, right? Because he says like, don't even the pagans do that where they greet people that look like them. They, they like, you know, group up in these little groups that look and talk and act and dress. Because here's the thing, like, love is not this warm feeling you get when you're like, oh my gosh, we really clicked. Like, that's awesome. Like, you're going to have friends who are like, we just vibe. Like, this is amazing. But love is a choice. You'll see that in your deepest friendships over time. Love is a choice. And when he says love your enemies, he's not saying, like, approve of their sin. He's not saying, I approve of Judas's betrayal. He's not like, that's fine. We're cool. No, but what is love? It's a willingness to sacrifice for the good of another. Even another you would not be cho choose to be close friends with. So here's my closing question, and the band could start making their way back up. Like, do we want to be like Christ in our relationships? Like, I'm not even up here to convict you, and I'm like, yes, we all need to go out into the world and do that. Like, that is the Holy Spirit's job to convict you. That is for you to wrestle with God. The first question, the entry level question, is like, do you actually want to be like Christ in your relationships? Like with my friends, where I can just see the tangible love of God in them. Like, do you want people to see the love of God through you in your risk, in your patience, in your encouragement, in your wisdom, your grace, your loyalty, your protection, your sacrificial love? If your answer is yes, then we need to be the type of people who are willing to go before God, to actually spend time with him, in his word, in his presence, to receive friendship first from Jesus, to ask ourselves, like, what is my friendship with Jesus like? To go to the source and to be like him and pray before God and say, Lord, not, will for my, not my will for my life, but yours. Not my preference in my friendship and my relationships and my family, but your preference. Not my comfort socially, but the good of those around me. And I promise you, like, here's the deal. This isn't just like God being a drill sergeant, being like, sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. What he's doing through this, because he, understand, like, he understands what goodness is. He promises a life that is full of so much joy. Like if we live like Jesus, if we're friend, our friendships look like Jesus, you'll have so much more joy, adventure, love. Like this is truly a life worth living. A life that looks like you're friends with Jesus. And that's all we want.
Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much that you really do love us, that you really are our friend, that you're the only one worth calling our closest friends. Thank you, Jesus, that you display yourself in relationship, God, that you teach us what it means to truly choose to love one another, that you have a vision for this world and your kingdom that is just so much bigger and brighter and more wonderful than anything we can dream up. God, thank you that you understand that your kingdom is beautiful and diverse and full of people that look nothing like us, God, that sound nothing like us. And yet, Lord, you are for your people. You loved us while we were still your enemy. So Lord, help us to love our enemies, God. Help us to have friendships and relationships that look like you. We love you, Jesus. You're such a good friend to us. We pray this in your name. Amen.